Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Slow-cooked, succulent meats delivered fast to your door. Search for us via Uber Eats and Delivery. Welcome, hello, buongiorno, buenos dias. This is Football Social Daily, your regular Premier League podcast with all the latest news, views and gossip from the English top flight. And we've got all of that in today's podcast. From their isolation locations today, I've got Niall McCorn on the podcast. Hello, Niall. Hello, Jim. And Ant McGinley's here as well. Hello, Ant. Hello. I'm Jim Salverson. And today's topic, well, we're going to talk Premier League player pay cuts. As the league suggests, playing staff take a 30% reduction in wages during the coronavirus crisis. We're going to be looking at Liverpool's move to take advantage of the government's coronavirus job retention scheme as they plead poverty and place a number of their non-playing staff on furlough. And we'll ask who's been a naughty boy to Kyle Walker as he followed government guidelines to stay at home but chose to stay at home in the company of a couple of escorts. What does this indiscretion mean for the defenders' future at Manchester City? Plus, we're going to cover off a load of the latest transfer gossip, which includes a blow for Manchester United in their quest to sign Jadon Sancho and a footballing superstar could be on his way to London Stadium to join up with West Ham, if you believe the back pages of the papers anyway. But let's start with the much talk about pay cut for Premier League players. It all kicked off last week, this, when Matt Hancock, who's the health secretary, if you don't know, suggested in a press conference that he gave about the coronavirus crisis that top flight players should be urged to do more. And that more, according to bosses of the Premier League, the guys who run the league, is to take a 30% pay cut. So far, the players, understandably, haven't jumped at the opportunity to receive 30% less money. But is this fundamentally the right decision? Is it the right thing for them to do, Niall? Um, To be honest, what's interesting is Matt Hancock was actually asked this question by a journalist in a press conference in one of the government's regular coronavirus briefings that are released to the general public. So I think it's important to note that Hancock didn't actually bring that up himself during the briefing. I think it's important to mention that just in the interest of fairness, regardless of your political persuasion, I think that's the only right thing to do is to suggest that this was a question he was responding to from a journalist. My initial thoughts on this were why is a journalist asking about Premier League footballers when really they should be asking about what the health secretary is doing to get essential protective equipment to the front line of the NHS? That's the most important question for me. Why is someone asking the health secretary about Premier League footballers? It's like asking Michael Jackson how to score a hole in one in golf. It's just like the most <laughs> ridiculous question you could have asked him. So first of all, that kind of got my back up a little bit. But I thought his response was interesting because the quote you use there, Premier League players should be urged to do more. Now, the Premier League have taken it upon themselves to suggest, as you mentioned, that players should take a 30% cut in wages. The issue with this for me is that everyone is on a different pay grade. There's no 
base pay in the Premier League. There's no pay cap in the Premier League like we see in some sports. For instance, rugby league, there's a a cap salary. We know in a a fair amount of American sports, there can be cap salaries. However, we don't have that in, in British football. It's just not a thing. If you look at someone, for instance, like, I don't know, let's say Bukayo Saka at Arsenal, who's rumoured to be on something around like £600 a week, which I'd happily accept £600 a week to be a pro footballer. I think everyone would. But when you're in a dressing room full of egos and 11 other blokes who are saying, oh, I'm on 50 grand a week or I'm on 100 grand a week and you're sat there and you're making appearances for the first team and you're on 600 quid a week, you're going to kind of think, well, actually, I'm not really getting my, my due wage here. Another example would be Tiamu Puki at Norwich, who I think is on maybe four grand a week which in comparison to a lot of other players in the Premier League is absolute pennies. It's peanuts. I mean, it's not to the the general person uh, in the country, but certainly in terms of the Premier League, that is a very, very small wage. So, for instance, if Timu Puki was to take a 30% pay cut or Bukayo Saka, they might struggle. And I'm not saying that Premier League footballers are hard, hard off for cash. But there is going to be some discrepancies in this, whereas you do get players like David De Gea, who's on upwards of £300,000 a week. But to be honest, a 30% pay cut for someone like David De Gea probably doesn't have the same damaging impact as it does for someone like Bukayo Saka at Arsenal, a young player. So I think that this 30% pay cut, if it's across the board, it's probably not going to work for me. Wayne Rooney made this exact point that you're making now in a column he wrote for the... well. The, a column someone wrote and he put his name to in the Times this weekend. He said some players are going to be able to afford 30%. He suggested that some players could be financially ruined by a 30% reduction in their wage, which I'm not sure I'm quite buying. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like a level playing field for exactly the reasons that you're suggesting. And it also feels, and you kind of hinted at this as well, football players are being scapegoated here a little bit because... There are so many people who could do so much more for the community and for the NHS and for charity right now. It isn't just a footballing issue, but weirdly, Ant, it's being turned into one. Well, effectively, what's happening for everybody in the country right now is the everyday person in the street is being asked to stay at home and take a pay cut of 20%. And with this furlough thing, which we will come and discuss in a moment, the government's taking over 80% of wages up to a certain amount. So that would, for example, actually cover a sackos, I think, just about. Uh, obviously, for a lot of people, it's going to be uh, more than that in terms of what they've lost in earnings and, and those kind of impacts. But th- there could have been an opportunity here to just go, whether it's 20 or 30%, just to say, everybody, whatever job you're doing, this is what's happening to get us through. And so in, in some ways, because they earn more, saying 30% for footballers it doesn't necessarily level things up but it kind of at least you know it doesn't matter how much you're earning how much you're worth you're going to feel that and you're going to notice that and it's like everybody's making a sacrifice everybody's in it together so in terms of national unity and being as one i can understand the argument behind that but there's there's two things that are crucial for football at least as far as i see it and that's the players, obviously, these are the people that we, we spend our money to go and see, that we buy the shirts of, that we idolise, that we follow, that we watch the documentaries on again and again. But also, it's us, the fans. And it does kind of feel like a little bit of 
a wedge is being driven behind and that were being pitched against each other. Now, actually, there's a lot of... We don't even need to talk about it here. You just need to switch on the news for 30 seconds and you'll see it. There's a lot of bad things happening right now in the UK and across the world with this that's happening. But there is an opportunity here at the same time for somebody or an organization or multiple organizations to do a good thing and whether that's coming together and some of the things that Wayne Rooney has suggested uh, could really make a difference however something we need to take on board right now is it doesn't matter how much percentage that you talk about or how much money that you're throwing in money's not going to solve all the problems that there are right now it's not like we can pay the virus to go away or... But here's my here's my problem with this whole scenario, with this whole thirty percent pay cut, and I think it's a quite a poor suggestion from the Premier League. Actually, it, it falls down in a lot of areas. But the problem is, who benefits from this thirty percent pay cut? If players take a thirty percent pay cut in wages, who benefits? Because it's not people, it's not the NHS. The people that benefit are the football clubs. And actually, the PFA have pointed out this week that. If players take a 30% pay cut over a 12-month period, that means £200 million less going to the government in UK tax contributions. So actually, the pay cut only benefits the football clubs who don't need to benefit from this scenario because Premier League football clubs, on the most part, are doing okay for themselves. So it doesn't solve any of those problems. It's not, as you say, and you can't just solve this issue by throwing money at it, but this is doing the opposite of that. Yeah, and it's... it's creating more trying to create problems and distraction rather than actually uh, coming up with a solution and yes you know just just having the money come in uh sounds great but isn't going to solve it and actually with that although there's a counter argument to it as well in terms of all that money going towards the treasury which in tax which goes towards things like the nhs they don't control how that's been spent and that money's just not coming along for the first time that money's been going ever since the premier league existed and had that been used better and more wisely by multiple governments and multiple generations of politicians, then perhaps we would not be in the position that we are now when we're in such need. Also, like you say, why is it just footballers? I mean, I know it comes from that question, but um, there's been very little focus on the CEOs and bankers uh, out there being asked to take a cut. And surely there's a lot more of them and so-called fat cats than there are Premier League footballers. It's just the focus of the media attention. Because there aren't many podcasts out there about um, media, you know, media fat cats or CEOs in the same way that we do a Premier League show like we're doing here. Do you know, there was an old lady on TV last night who's worth around 300 or 500 million or something like that telling us that we need to keep our resolve and that we'll meet again and all this kind of thing. There was no suggestion that that old lady should put a little bit extra into the pot. So it does seem quite weird that we are focusing on footballers. And like Wayne Rooney says, he uses the word scapegoat. I just think Premier League and football in general has been dragged into this argument when it doesn't need to be. I think it just needs to be left completely alone. And Premier League football clubs and footballers will make the public's mind up themselves by the actions they take and what they do. And I think we'll come on to that in a bit. Yeah, we're going to talk about furloughing very soon and that kind of falls under the bracket of these millionaire organisations because a lot of Premier League football clubs do fall into that category as well. Just to wrap this idea up though, I think there is a slight issue that if we reduce Premier League wages by 30%, actually we'll see less money 
going through to the places that need it because a lot of footballers have been very generous with their time and their money during this crisis so far in terms of supporting donations. The PFA have said it's a stupid idea, they're not going to back it. They've also suggested that the Premier League might like to up their donation of £20 million to the NHS, which is what they've pledged. Um, the other issue that's kind of not caught as many headlines that came out of Friday's meeting with the Premier League that I just want to mention quickly. Niall, you can answer this one as the official torch holder of league football on Football Social Daily, is that the Premier League have granted an advance of £125 million that goes down to the Football League to help them through the next few months and the financial difficulties they might face. Is that enough? Uh, It's hard to tell because the majority of the money in the EFL is in the championship and we see clubs like Leeds United who we know have spent a fair amount of money in an attempt to get up Uh, you know it's been 16 years since they were last in the Premier League and a club like Leeds needs to be in the top flight of English football Uh, but you also see clubs like Birmingham City who have had a, a big points deduction in recent years in the championship for breaking FFP rules Aston Villa narrowly avoided breaking FFP rules and Wolves for that matter by getting promoted in the seasons that they did because if they didn't get promoted they would have been stung with uh, penalties due to the championship FFP rules so they kind of escaped that trap door by getting promoted to the Premier League so we see clubs going for broke and I think that's the the problem that needs to be fixed and I think when that problem is fixed of having a fluid system of where teams cannot flout the rules for instance it's almost like as soon as you get into the Premier League you've escaped you know any punishment and I think that that needs to be changed Derby County look like they're going to secure a 30 million pound loan to keep themselves afloat there could be a 20 point deduction on Derby County's total this season if FFP um, breaches uh, are found to be correct would that be regressed though because they're not FFP's kind of being wiped off for the coming season hasn't it or would that still relate to last season's financial books To be honest, I'm not sure, but certainly you see these clubs that are spending beyond their means. And the problem is 125 million sounds like a lot of money and it is a lot of money. But how much of that is actually truly going to be filtered down to League One and League Two clubs? How how much are those League One and League Two clubs actually going to benefit from that money? We see clubs that are really struggling without the gate receipts. Gate receipts mean so much more in the bottom two divisions than they do in the top two because games aren't televised as regularly, if at all. You'll have some League Two teams that won't be televised for years at a time unless they get a run in the FA Cup. So that money will need to be divided up properly and kind of used wisely by the EFL and not just lumped at championship clubs because let's be honest, the championship is the EFL's their flagship competition, the championship. So if if that's seen to be failing, then I think the EFL are more likely to want to sort that out themselves rather than those clubs down in League One and League Two that are truly struggling. So that, for me, is the sticking point. I want to see that money divided out evenly. Whether that will be the case, I don't know. But you've also got the risk of, do you trust the EFL with all of their kind of misguidings in terms of allowing club owners into certain football clubs when they don't have the finances behind them, um, being very blasé when it comes to appointing new owners and helping clubs with their finances. Do you trust the EFL to you know, make the right decisions in terms of which clubs need the money and which clubs don't? I'm not sure I do. So that £125 million, Gary Neville seems to think that it's not enough. I mean, he's been quite vocal saying the Premier League have handled this terribly. I thought I wanted to make a point of saying I disagree with Gary Neville and I say I think the Premier League statement on Friday 
was decent. I thought 20 million to the NHS was a, a kind gesture. I thought it could have been more. 125 million to the EFL. I think that is again a, a kind gratuity from the Premier League. I don't, it's I don't an advance, think... though, isn't it? It's not a kind of a bonus payment. Almost, it eventually that need that, that's money that would have been paid to them down the line, but they're just going to get it a little bit earlier. Yeah, and I, I think it's the right decision. And I think it's the right decision to suspend the league indefinitely as well. I think all of the things the Premier League have done uh, are the right things. However, I think Neville's gripe was that it just takes them so long to do everything. Why is football so... Why are we so slow and so sluggish? Because there's so much money involved. There's so many stakeholders to talk to. There's so many sponsors. There's so many men in suits. People cannot make decisions snappily and quickly in football. It's just never happened. This UEFA meeting that took place on Thursday last week or a couple of weeks ago, I mean, that was in the offing for like eight days. Why? What, what's everyone doing? What are all, the, what are all these um, members of the football associations in different countries, what are they doing? Nothing. There is nothing for them to do. There is nothing for them to do. There's no football on. So why can't they just do it quicker? It's just so slow and it really frustrates me. As someone that tried to set up a Zoom call with a few different people last week, I can kind of see where the issue is when you're trying to get the whole of a football federation involved in a video call. Uh, we're going to move on and talk about Liverpool now, because one piece of financial news that broke over the weekend was that Liverpool have joined Newcastle and Tottenham, Bournemouth and Norwich City in furloughing some of their non-playing staff. It's been met with widespread disapproval, even from their own fan base, this one. And it's largely down to the pre-tax profit that they announced just a couple of months back of 42 million quid. Now, this feels like a little bit of a PR-owned goal for Liverpool, doesn't it, Ant? If I may just take a moment to plug another podcast, there is a show out there called The Offensive, which is a sweary mockumentary about a made-up Premier League club called Ashwood City. Now, last week's episode, before any of this happened, they released this brilliant episode about their CEO, Patrick Nolan, and he furloughed the whole club and it was very much in keeping with him, his character and the ridiculousness of how this club is run in the show. And I laughed and I thought, oh, very funny. That would never happen. And then two days later, what do we have? Uh, obviously, you say Norwich, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Tottenham. Some of those people weren't surprised on those arguments for the smaller clubs, definitely there. But with Liverpool, I'm, I mean... Dylan McCullers to the mast here. I'm a Man City fan through and through. But this season, I have been in awe of Liverpool. I've been terrified of them the last few seasons because they were the only team that could really play us off the park consistently. Um, and I've had a great respect for them. I've really admired their success. I love Jurgen Klopp as a, as a manager. They've got some great playing staff there as well. But... Exactly. <laughs> in a time when... So many clubs are run badly. This club seems to be run really well. Even with big purchases like Virgil van Dijk, they still have those pre-tax profits. And this is all built around the history of this club. It's got a great history. It's loved all around the world, despite them not having success. And even the most diehard Liverpool hater, at some point there is a little part of your soul that will kind of go, yeah, they kind of deserve it this season. And then this, this for a club who have You'll Never Walk Alone, are so much a part of that club. And look, the thing is that the from a business point of view, the capacity is there. It's what it's offered for. Yes, it's not in the spirit of it because it's supposed to be, we think, as we're trying to understand what all this means, for businesses that are struggling. Liverpool are not struggling as a business. 
they certainly are not struggling and they probably will never struggle simply because they've got so much love and affection around the world and i honestly feel that this is really gonna it's not just a pr disaster it's it, it feels more hurtful than that i'm upset by it i'm really disappointed that they've done this because they are they're the fifa club pro world champions they are the champions league champions they are the champions elect of the premier league they are playing some of the best football that we have ever seen in the premier league and that is coming from a man city fan i think the thing that really jars for me is the attitude of the club and the club are supposed to be this people's club this workers rights club this socialist club if such a thing could even exist nowadays and it probably can't but it just feels to fly in the face of that. But I do question whether that will have any impact at all on them long term. Uh, a few tweets at the moment slagging them off maybe, but fans aren't going to act any differently in the long term because they've done something a little bit questionable in their financial planning or whatever, are they, Niall? Well, people are still going to support Liverpool, aren't they? I don't think they're ever going to turn their back on the football club. But I agree with you, Jim. This, for me, leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Liverpool earned 111 million euros from the Champions League last season. Tottenham earned 102 million euros from the Champions League last season. And both are now using taxpayers' money to pay wages. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And this is the thing for me. Liverpool is seen as a huge beacon in the local community. That is a working-class city. And every scouser will tell you that they are proud of the fact that Liverpool is a working-class city. Jurgen Klopp and the team at Liverpool have done so well to re-establish that link between football club and supporter, football club and community. They've spent five years doing it, and now it just feels like they've completely put a pin in it. I mean, they've really damaged that reputation that they've spent so long building about Liverpool giving back to the community and the city feeling as a whole again. I was actually in Liverpool on the night that they won the Champions League against Tottenham and the place was absolutely bouncing, as you'd expect. I mean, people were spending money in pubs, people were out and about all night. It was it was an incredible atmosphere, an incredible night for them. And fair play, they, des they deserved the win. But you just think, how can a club with all of this ingrained in its roots, in its history, of it being a working class club, a, a club for people who are maybe in need. I mean, it's a, it's a Labour city, Liverpool, a Labour city, a city where they look after each other. They're neighbours of Everton. They're not furloughing their staff. Well, they haven't yet anyway. You know, and Liverpool are worth more than Everton are. And Everton do have a bit of money behind them now. I know that. But it just doesn't make any sense to me. It just doesn't make any sense. It's almost like if there was one football club who you think wouldn't put players on furlough, wouldn't put staff on furlough, it would be Liverpool. However, you see the likes of Manchester United, where we see supporters saying the Glazers use Manchester United as an ATM. They use it as a cash machine. None of Manchester United staff have been placed on furlough. Manchester United have actually decided to pay all of their casual matchday and non-matchday staff for the foreseeable future until this crisis is over. If anything, you think it would be the other way round. So this is just, it's a staggering move. And it's not what the government had in mind when they unfurled this furlough system. Not not at all was that, you know, Premier League clubs to take advantage of this. I mean, what's their reasoning for it? What's Liverpool's, what's Liverpool's excuse? I mean, if they can find one, then I'd be interested to hear it because I think this is staggering. Season tickets are expensive. Aren't they? Season tickets are expensive. What are they like? Over a thousand pounds for a season ticket at the average Premier League club. 
you're paying a, a, a fair amount of money into a football club. Uh, supporting a football club is a hobby. It's a religion for some people. It's a religion for a lot of people. However, for then you to go to work and slave your backside off for five days, working towards that Saturday, working towards that day that you can go to Anfield and watch your heroes pull on that red shirt and play, to then know that your tax money is going towards some of the people at that football club being paid up to two and a half grand's worth of their wages on the furlough scheme. I mean, for me, if I was a working class person that really slaved hard to go and watch my team on a Saturday, it just wouldn't sit right with me at all. I just I just cannot understand this. Well, it's just businesses making money, isn't it? I mean, this is why businesses make money, why big businesses make money, because they can take advantage of this stuff and they know how to and they will take advantage. It's why the rich keep on getting richer, essentially. But what I think will be really interesting from here is what happens in the transfer window. Because right now you've got these clubs and Liverpool, like we say, aren't alone. Bournemouth and Spurs and Newcastle are all taking advantage of the same thing. So that right now they're claiming poverty. They're claiming they can't afford to pay workers wages. And if that is the case, and that would then kind of make it acceptable for them to take advantage of the furlough scheme. If that is the case, then surely... We can't expect them to invest in playing staff in any meaningful way once the window comes around. So I'd suggest that if you're going to take furlough as a football club, then your transfer activity has a cap put on it in the forthcoming window. I wouldn't say you'd ban it completely, but you'd say, right, you, if you, can't, if you couldn't play your, pay your playing staff for this period of two months, if you had to save 20 million quid or whatever it is during that, you can only spend 30 million during the transfer window. What's very obvious to me is just sitting here listening to you both talk. Like, you're a Portsmouth supporter, Niall. Jim, you're West Ham and Man City. And yet here we are getting really passionate about a club that isn't ours. And usually what happens in a situation like this is if it's another club, you laugh at it, you make a joke, you move on. If it's your club, you kind of go, oh, well, you know, and you kind of make an excuse for it. Or you go, well, mm, you, you find a way to live with it and deal with it, maybe where the money's come from or what happened there or that player's reputation. The difference is here is that right now everybody's feeling it. Everybody is feeling that the, the uncertainty that's going on. Uh, I dare say that if, if not in our own families, at least in our close circle of friends, we all know somebody that has lost a job, is on the verge of losing a business, and, and possibly more beside. And this is something that is really hitting people and really hitting people hard. And what football has always done is, is providing an escape for people. Now, you mentioned a bunch of times there about working class city, working class club. And, you know, football's always been that brilliant escape from the the drudgery of of your everyday life you can go there and you experience the highs and the lows and the passion and it's such an incredible experience it is a religion because you have these religious experiences when you're with all these people and these incredible highs and these incredible lows but you always have people to share it with and the the fact that it's almost like a church closing its doors this by saying, you know, we're going to furlough you, it's like turning up to go to the place that you worship and them going, no, no, you can't come in now. And th- I, I think this is not just going to affect... I, I think the other problem with it is because there's nothing to do at the minute for a lot of people. And I know that some people have suddenly their hands full with childcare and all these other things, so it's very crass of me to say nothing to do, but there's less to do than normal. Like, your life is not full of those normal things, so people have time to stop and think about this and to go, why? Why are they doing this? Why? And, and 
I think you're right. There will still be people that go to the games. There will still be people that come back when that happens, however that happens. But I I think this is really going to have an impact. We've seen this with other businesses without mentioning them. People have already, whether they stick to it or not, they've said, I'm never going to step foot in this business again because how how they've they've acted during this time. I don't think it will. I don't think it will make a difference. And I know the business you're talking about, and I'm quite happy to mention the likes of Virgin Atlantic and the likes of JD Weatherspoons and Sports Direct and all those people, the people who questioned the way they behave during the, the coronavirus crisis and outbreak. And I don't think it will. I think people have short memories and it's a little flash in the pan when it comes to some social media posts, but then it's forgotten about. And I think exactly the same will happen with football, unless there is some kind of, decision made by the Premier League, like I say, with limiting transfer activity or something along those lines, or the government changes the rules on furlough and that horse has already bolted. You can't really do that now. I don't think it will have a long-term impact. It should, but it probably won't. No, and I think we should probably just outline as well, it's not all of Liverpool's staff that are on furlough. It is it is just some of Liverpool's staff before we do blow a gasket too much. It mm. isn't the whole club that's been put on furlough. And wages will be made up by the, the rest of the club. So, I mean, these people will still be getting 100% of their wages. But, you know, the idea of that you're a taxpayer and then that the company you work for are taking furlough, which means you're effectively just paying yourself... It's just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. Furlough itself isn't a bad thing. We should, that's that, not the point, is it? It's the point that is that Liverpool are taking advantage of a financial benefit that is there to help struggling companies rather than companies who have turned 50-odd million quid. Yeah, Burnley haven't done it. Brighton haven't done it. Um, you know, how many more clubs do you want me to list? Mm. Yeah, Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool and Tottenham have done it, and I think... Those two clubs have a lot to answer for. I don't think we should be surprised with Daniel Levy, to be honest, because we, we know he's a bit stringent in terms or of... Or Mike Ashley. Or Mike Ashley tightening the purse strings. We know what they're both like. But Liverpool? Come on. Uh, well, Manchester City are one of the clubs who have said they won't be furloughing any staff or making people redundant in the near future, but they might be sacking someone pretty soon. Carl Walker has been in the papers this weekend for all the wrong reasons, hosting a sex party when he should have been tucked up at home. We're going to talk about that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Donna Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. We're going to talk about Kyle Walker, who one day was making an impassioned plea for all England and Manchester City supporters to stay at home and stay safe. And the next, he's apologising for his actions after hosting what the tabloid papers have referred to as a sex party at his Hale apartment. And you're the Manchester City fan here. How is this news going to go down? Go down, go down. If you excuse the pun, <laughs> how is this news going to go down at the Etihad Stadium? Do you reckon this is going to be the end of Carl Walker's Manchester City career? Uh, you know what? <clears throat> I think it could be, and uh, I'm glad you came to me as the Manchester City expert because I very little didn't say expert. I said fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we all know you're a fan of both those things. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm just still. There's part of me, because I really like Kyle Walker as, as a player, um, there's part of me that's hoping that he's somehow found a way to have a social distancing sex party, <laughs> but I'm sure that's something that you do with Zoom, uh, like the rest of us are doing. I think in, in ordinary times, this would already be 
like fish and chip paper. But the problem is all the chippies are shut. So um, and there's not much else to talk about. So this is going round a little bit. He's not the only footballer that's done something stupid. Uh, we have seen at least one footballer from another club uh, crash his car. Oh, Jack Grealish is oh, absolutely uh, buzzing about this story. It couldn't have come at a better time for Grealish. Yeah, uh, I, I, I just to correct that, we, while, he, while he was out driving back from a party, he crashed his car. Um, yeah, it's it's taken the heat off him. Um, I mean, Carl Walker's had quite the season for Man City. Um, I mean, he's the only goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet uh, against Atalanta um, and also in the Champions League for City this season, which is pretty impressive, I think. Um but there has been talk about possibly replacing him, moving him forward. Certainly didn't keep any clean sheets the other <laughs> night, Ant, that's for sure. Um, look, the thing is, look, we, we, we know that footballers generally have a reputation for being young and having a lot of money and nobody to really sort of like have that father figure uh, and guide them, um, especially when they're not necessarily in the club every day being guided by the likes of, you know, Alex Ferguson is the one that everybody comes back to, Sir Alex, who would always keep people out of trouble and keep them on the straight and narrow. Um, I mean, the thing is, it's the the hypocrisy that is the problem here. The fact that he's, he's asking people to do it. And again, it's similar to what we just touched on upon with Liverpool. People are feeling the pain. I have friends that work in the NHS that are separated from their families at the minute because they're being sensible, they're doing the social isolation that they've been asked to by the likes of Carl Walker and the government and the NHS to, to stay separate, to, to not so go out and socialise and to stay at home, to not work, suffer the hardships that come with that. And so again, th- this, this makes a little bit us and them. And I don't know what the club will do with this. Um, obviously, the, the club have taken some sort of a standpoint when it comes to the crisis in terms of saying we're not going to furlough everyone we're going to look after everybody there is an internal investigation going on but again it comes down to the fact that football is a business Carl Walker is an asset uh, and there are footballers that have done much worse uh, and, and, and still carried on to be at the club uh, if we do a comparison we've just seen the uh, first medical officer I believe that's the title in Scotland resigned because she broke her own advice as well she said you shouldn't travel and she went um on consecutive weekends somewhere and she got herself in a position where she felt she was able to resign i don't i'm not aware of any footballer that's ever resigned from a club i don't think he's likely to do that well you mentioned city having an internal investigation it's a little bit more than that and city released an official statement and they said they were disappointed about the allegations they acknowledged that uh, walker did act swiftly in terms of making an official apology but they also said they're conducting an internal disciplinary procedure rather than an internal investigation so I mean investigation tends to be the word that clubs use when they want to brush something under the carpet they just kind of investigate it and hope it disappears before they have to do anything so they're saying they're going to take some kind of action against Carl Walker but likely outcome Niall a couple of weeks wages fine 
Yeah, it looks like they might find him 250 grand, which is probably around about uh, a couple of weeks wages, as you say. I don't think the issue here is that he was um, that he was using an escort or a sex worker. That's legal in the UK um, if you go about it the right way. So I think it's important to say that he hasn't broken any laws here, but he has gone against government guidelines um, regarding social distancing. And as Ant says, it's hypocritical because less than 24 hours later, after hosting this party, according to the article... He posted a video on Twitter urging everyone to stay at home. So this is the thing. that That's where the issue lies. I mean, you are a role model as a footballer. You know, and what you get up to in your private life is, of course, up to you. But if, if that impacts how you are seen in the public eye and that has a damaging and detrimental impact on your employer and his employer is Manchester City, then it's likely that you're going to get in hot water for it. And I think Manchester City are doing the right thing. They're investigating him. Um, I don't think a 250 grand fine is a slap on the wrist. So I think that's a hefty chunk out of, I mean, it's half a month's wages, isn't it? So, you know, I, I think that's um, I think that's probably the right thing for Manchester City to do. I don't know whether they're going to go into the transfer market in the summer and look for a new right back anyway. Kyle Walker hasn't been making England squads. He made the Nations League squad last summer, but then for these European qualifiers for Euro 2020, which has, of course, now been pushed back to the year after he hasn't made a single one of Gareth Southgate's squads so he's not in Gareth Southgate's thinking moving forward so he's lost his place in the England team he's broken these uh, coronavirus guidelines he's uh, been sold out by one of the young girls who was at his apartment who sold the story to the newspaper which I thought was quite ironic to be honest she her statement was my boss told me that there was a client looking for a classy girl and then she's gone and <laughs> sold the story to the sun, which I thought was kind of quite funny. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that this is one of those stories where, like you say, Jack Grealish, we've seen him do it. We've seen Kyle Walker do it. The paparazzi and the press are absolutely eagle eyed at this moment in time looking for stories, probably more than ever. Mm. And anything they can do to bury someone like Kyle Walker, they will do it. They will have no shame because they need to make sure that their businesses, which revolve around clicks and papers being bought, and there's not really many people going to the shops at the moment, you know, they need to make sure that their businesses are still ticking over and they will do whatever it takes to catch footballers, excuse the pun, with their trousers down, doing things they shouldn't be doing. They are young lads who are used to doing exactly what they want as well, unfortunately. And that's one of the issues with being a football now, footballer nowadays is that the huge amount of money in the sport means they're surrounded by people who only agree with them yeah i guess so and also you know we're all just because they've got a bit of cash and they're young lads kyle walker's not a young lad he's 30 he should know better and i I get it i mean i'm i'm as bored as the next person i'm bored sat at home you know everyone is he's no different to the rest of us he's no different to the rest of us just because he's a bit richer uh, and he lives you know and he's used to a more macho environment it's not an excuse Interestingly, I think his future at Manchester City probably won't be dramatically affected by this decision. As you say, there's every chance that Manchester City were going to look for a replacement in the summer anyway. It might speed up his exit, but it's not going to directly affect it. These things tend to amplify a club's position rather than actually change it. And if they are keen on hanging on to a player, they'll hang on to him. If they want to get rid, they will get rid. It doesn't really change that. So Carl Walker could be a name that we see on the back page of the papers very soon. But some other juicy gossip is on the back pages at the moment, or whatever the digital website version of a back page is. And we're going to kick off with Real Madrid, who clearly want a new striker 
in this summer window. Uh, Haaland's been touted as a potential signing. Sadio Mane, Aubameyang, all on the shopping list last week. This week, attention has been turned to Harry Kane, who apparently is the preferred target for Real Madrid and the president there. It feels like a bit of a scattergun approach to recruiting a new striker. And we've talked about Harry Kane potentially moving away from Spurs. He's admitted as much that he might look to move if they don't start winning something in the next 12 months or so. Would Real Madrid be the most likely suitor, Ant? Um, I think, to be honest, where he is at the moment, I think uh, he's more chances of success at Real Madrid than he has at Spurs, I think. <clears throat> that, no, and that's. I, I, th- I think that the, the time has gone. I think the that we're seeing a lot of changes at uh, Spurs. Uh, obviously, Pochettino's gone. There's a couple of players have moved out. That the the team is not what it was. And obviously, under Mourinho, they're playing a different style. Now, uh, I think for any footballer, and we've seen this with, with the likes of even Raheem Sterling. You know, there there is an attraction with Real Madrid. There always has been. There's uh the, the it's a legendary club and i i just wonder if he would actually suit real madrid um because he although he has the record he has the thing, i i've never been kane's biggest fan and so maybe that's just because he he hasn't quite lived up to what i would like to see and i know that sounds ridiculous because uh, he, he's won so many golden boots and, and put so many goals away in a short time in the Premier League. But I, I still think he hasn't fully lived up his potential. What makes you think he hasn't lived up to his potential? Well, I think this is an interesting one because I think Harry Kane is one of the best strikers in the world right now. And I think there's very few people who can live up to his record, it, particularly if you take the injuries out of it. If you look at game time to goal return, I don't really get why people say he hasn't lived up to his potential. Because I think he has the potential to be the best striker in the world, and 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 that that's it. That's why I think he he has that promise, and it's not quite there. And you're right. Maybe it is the injuries that has had that effect. Maybe it's the team that he's been playing in and playing around. When you um, say you're not really a fan of him, man, what what do you mean? Do you mean you just don't like the style of play? You just you just don't rate him. What what do you mean when you say that? You know what? I think a lot of it has been from like the 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 fact that he his desperation to claim every goal that he he was on the pitch for that he didn't even touch little things like that have have have, have bothered me a little bit. Uh, I know that's part of the striker's mo. Yeah, is that not just being a great striker? Well, just when it comes off the back of your heel, maybe a little bit. But I'd prefer to see. I prefer the goals when he goes in and he's brave and he heads it and he takes it round someone and puts it away. Those great moments. That, that we've seen him do and that we know he's been able to put put away for for England and for Spurs and I just think that maybe maybe actually he, he could be with a team like Real Madrid he could be getting an extra 10 goals a season he could be maybe even lifting the Champions League trophy uh, and who knows what else and also as well I think I'd like to see more uh, English players going abroad and getting experience in different leagues I think that could only be a good thing for England obviously it would be a loss to the Premier League having him but mm. I just maybe maybe as well because you know I'm not a Spurs fan I'm a Man City fan and I don't like it when he scores against us I really like Harry Kane Jim I think he's quality he's one of my favourite players in the Premier League he's English he's an absolute bags man he just scores goal after goal after goal and he's a normal bloke He's just a normal guy. He's not like he doesn't have the ego of many Premier League footballers that we see. He's not, you know, the kind of cut from, you know, the, the general mould of a Premier League footballer. He's 
he's not flashy he just he just goes about his business and he loves scoring goals and he's bloody good at it as well and i tell you what even though maybe you know people might think we're a bit crazy for this but if manchester city are looking for a replacement for aguero why not harry kane he'd score 30 a season he'd cost he, bucks he, though wouldn't he he's got four years left on his contract at spurs manchester city have cashed him i know that Do i know they that... want to spend 150 million quid on him though probably no, not but that's, no, the, that's the going rate and if they sell sterling to someone sterling's gone off the boy if they sell sterling to someone then maybe they might have a bit of cash to spend but they're going to find have to find a replacement for aguero i know they're touting gabriel jesus as the replacement for aguero but they're going to need a second striker whether they've got someone coming through from the academy in mind, I don't know. I know that there's lots of good academy talent at Manchester City. But he'd score 30 a season if he stayed fit. And that's the thing. Sergio Aguero's never fit for a full season. So it won't make too much of a difference for Manchester City. And it would certainly annoy me if he does get linked with Manchester City and City fans go, oh, but he's never fit. Sergio Aguero's never fit. You're not complaining about him. So <laughs> to be honest, it's one of those. And I think injuries is the real clincher for this. Because even with Real Madrid... Gareth Bale is a top-class player at Real Madrid, but the reason the fans haven't taken to him is because he's injured all the time. Mm. And I think that they'll probably turn the same way with uh, Harry Kane because he seems to have ankles made of paper mache. He's always injured. So for, for, for my money, I would love to see him at Real Madrid. But um, I do think that if he is to move there, he's going to cop a bit of stick just purely for the fact that he isn't fit 100% of the time. Harry Kane will no doubt be a big name in the transfer window if he does decide to move, but also Jaden Sancho is going to be one of the biggest deals in the next window. He looks certain to leave Dortmund. Last week we talked about Liverpool. They apparently ruled themselves out of a move, which left Chelsea and Manchester United as the two main suitors. Now, according to The Sun today, Sancho won't even consider going to Manchester United if they don't have Champions League football, which I guess kind of sums up the problem that United have at the moment in that to attract the players they need to have to improve the team and get Champions League football on a regular basis, they need to have Champions League football in the first place. Um, I think the season for Manchester United, before it got suspended due to coronavirus, was actually taking a bit of an upturn. Things were a bit more positive. It looked like uh, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, after signing Bruno Fernandes, had finally found that missing ingredient that he's been looking for for a while. Um, the confidence was up. They were winning games. They were on a bit of a streak. And teams above them were, were kind of slipping up. Chelsea haven't exactly been consistent in terms of their top four challenge. Leicester City have been poor since uh, since the new year. And so Manchester United probably would have had an opportunity to get into that top four. They're also still in the Europa League. They've got a, a second leg last 16 tie against Lask to, to finish. Um, and they're pretty much guaranteed to get through that. I think they won 5-0 in Austria. So they're pretty much guaranteed to be through to the quarterfinals of the Europa League. And that might be another route possibly to uh, Champions, League, Champions League football. Uh, so the interesting thing is, is what happens with the transfer window. If Jade and Sancho will only join Manchester United if they have Champions League football, how long is it going to take for the season to conclude and how long is it going to take for Sancho to find out that United do have Champions League football or not? I mean, could that could that window of opportunity for him to move um, already be over? The no United clause that um, they they put in uh, that Man City put into the contract when they sold him to Borussia Dortmund. I think that was just a rumor. So I think that the, was a just paper talk at the time. I'm not sure it exa- there seems to be no evidence of that actually existing. Well, that's what I, I was just I was just looking at that this morning trying to find that. So that's why I was being a bit vague. It, 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 it seems very interesting that it would be specific to that clause, and, and you're right. It sounds like it would be more um, 
more like the fanzines that would maybe come up with that. But there has been some uh, some talks about the, the there is a buyback clause in there for, for City to take Sancho back as well, which would possibly mm. be an option if uh, Sterling was to go to Real Madrid. Well, the crazy story of the day award goes to FC Inter News with a story that has been translated into English by Sporting Witness. And they are claiming that West Ham have been in contact with Alexi Sanchez's agent about a potential move to East London on loan, which just, it, it kind of beggars belief a little bit for me. And I can't quite see how any of the pieces in this would fit into place for this to happen. But I guess it raises questions about what happens to Alexi Sanchez next from here, because it's not really worked for him in Italy. It's really hard to imagine Inter Milan making the loan deal they've got at the moment permanent, which is an option at the end of the deal. So ultimately, where does he go? It, probably won't be to the London Stadium but it probably won't be to Inter either I'll tell you what Jim the scary thing is is that FC Inter news are actually pretty accurate in terms of sources as far as Italian press goes so uh, good luck with that one if West Ham signed Alexis Sanchez for me it would just be another example of West Ham paying top dollar for a player who's passed it how many times have they done that it's just, I mean, their director of football, well, they don't have one at the moment, do they, under David Moyes? I think it was under no. Pellegrini, it was Mario Husios who got sacked at the same time Pellegrini got sacked. And he was a bit of a car crash with some of the signings that West Ham made uh, when he was the director of football. So who is actually in control of transfers and player operations at West Ham United at the moment? Is it David Moyes? Is it Golden Sullivan? You certainly hope not. Um, to be honest, bubbles the bear. Well, it might it might as well be to be perfectly honest, because West Ham's transfer policy in recent seasons has been shocking, to say the least. It's been terrible, um, and and maybe you're going to defend a few players here, Jim. I don't I'm think not. I don't think there should be. I mean, I think West Ham's <laughs> position in the table says everything. I think their recruitment has been so poor, and I think that needs to be addressed. They need a proper, decent director of football in there at West Ham, and they need to stop splashing cash on players who aren't going to do the job for them. But there's something about this transfer that I'm getting suckered into exactly what happens with the owners at West Ham. You kind of have this romantic notion that these players who have showed potential in the past, players like Jack Wilshire, might come good if they come to the club, if only you can get a song out of him. And Alexis Sanchez, I kind of think there's still a good player in there. And I don't know what Manchester United do with him, because say he did go to West Ham, and I don't believe this story is likely to happen. West Ham would pay, what, 25% of his wages, maybe on a loan deal, 100 grand, something like that. That's probably the most they could afford, which still leaves Manchester United with 300 grand a week to contribute towards a player wages who they're getting no value out. And on one hand, they need to get value back into that asset. They need to make Alexis Sanchez a appealing transfer for someone because he's still got years left on his contract. And they can only do that by him getting performances on the pitch. But whether they're willing to supplement that chance with a £300,000 a week layoff when you're not getting no immediate return or not, it seems unlikely. Sometimes players are just past it though, aren't they? And I don't want to write Sanchez off because for Arsenal, he was just sensational. Um, And he was a real top-class Premier League talent. And you can see why Manchester United and City at the time were both in for him. But I just think back to when Chelsea paid £50 for Fernando Torres in 2012. You know, and it was a it was a past it Torres, wasn't it? He kind mm. of got injured around the 2010 World Cup, and you know he just wasn't the same player after he kind of rushed back from injury for the World Cup. So, you know, it kind of reminds me of that. 
has he lost his magic? I mean, the plan was for him to go to Inter and rediscover that magic. Lukaku seems to be putting them away quite easily in the uh, in the Italian league and cup. He's had a few injuries, hasn't he? That's the thing, isn't it? it? Sanchez has kind of had a, a long-term injury in terms of it's been three or four months that he's been off uh, with injury for. So he hasn't really had a chance to show what he can truly do. But yeah, I think this is an interesting one and it's it's a business decision that has to be made here by Manchester United about whether to keep Alexis Sanchez on their books or not. They can afford to keep him. Will he be prepared to leave the club for pastures new for a reduction in wages? Well, he might not have a choice at this moment in time because at the end of the day as a footballer, you do your talking on the pitch. Your stock is only high when you're playing well. And at the moment, his stock certainly isn't high. One more transfer rumour I'm going to throw in is Alfredo Morales, who's been tearing it up in Rangers north of the wall at the moment. Now, there's a few Premier League clubs reportedly interested in this guy. He's 23 years old. Leicester City wants him. Newcastle wants him. Crystal Palace wants him. Aston Villa wants him. He's got a decent record in Scotland. He's got 44 goals in 89 games. But what is... More impressive is his disciplinary record. Last season, two red cards. No, sorry, this season, two red cards, 10 yellow cards already. Last season, five red cards, 19 yellow cards. I don't know why. I look at this player. He's Colombian. He can score goals. He's a little bit crazy. He's going to end up at Newcastle, isn't he? <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. I don't know whether it's because Solomon Rondon was Venezuelan, South American, and just a little bit loco, as they say over Aspria there. Aspria as well. Aspria, yeah. yeah maybe m- maybe it's to do with that. Um, but yeah, I like Morelos. I, I watch a fair bit of um, of Scottish football when I can, actually, which, which isn't that often. So actually, I don't watch a fair bit. That's a complete lie. I watch a little bit of Rangers <laughs> when I get time. I've watched most of Euro- uh, Rangers Europa League games this season. I can see why uh, teams like Crystal Palace are interested. He does add that bite up front. I mean, he's not the most technical player you've ever seen. But I mean, the, the the heart is there. And talking about wearing your heart on your sleeve, this guy, he is mental. He's mad. And there's a reason he keeps mm. getting sent off all the time. Although his disciplinary record has improved this season, it has to be said. It really has improved. Although two yellow cards and <laughs> yeah, two red cards think... and ten yellows doesn't really <laughs> tell that story, does it? It, it, it couldn't have really got much worse. Uh, I, I mean, I'm quite excited to see him come because there's an element of like a Mario Balotelli or a Diego Costa about him. And we're kind of... Kind of, I can't really think of somebody else we've got in the Premier League who kind of uh, has taken on that mantle. So it would be nice to see him come and, and add a little of that passion and just craziness. Uh, we're going to wrap up with just a mention for the Premier League World Crap, which kicks off in full today. Our search to find the worst Premier League player of all time. The very first of the groups goes up online today. That is Monday. You can find it at The Sports Social on Twitter. I want you guys to pick someone from group A and group B who you think is going to go through to the knockout stages. So group A looks like this at the moment. It's Massimo Taibi, Marco Bugas, Bernardo Carradi and William Prunier all in the group for the worst. I think I think I think Taibi is a little bit harsh putting in there. He had a few games and letting that goal through his legs, but I feel it's I feel there's worst goalkeepers out there. But who's your pick out of those four to go through now? Oh, it's funny because I only seem to remember Taibi. Um, Bugas was a little bit before my time, actually. Yeah, Prunier, <laughs> Prunier was bad. He was bad. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Taibi. I know you say it might be a bit harsh, Jim, but Taibi was bad. And he, he, the only one that's running him close is Roberto, the, the West Ham keeper. So um, I think there's probably going to be more outfield players than keepers in this. And I think for... Uh, 
representation of goalkeepers, I think I'll go with Taibi. I'm going to go for the only one of those players that I actually saw play live. Um, but uh, that was at Manchester City, and that was in 2006 when Bernardo Karate came as we had all this money uh, come into the club and we went and bought a lot of players who no one had ever heard of. Um, he started He started off pretty well. Um, well, I say that, started off pretty well. He, he, he made an impact, shall we say, but it took him about, I don't know, I think it was like 10, 15 games before he scored his first few goals. I can't really remember him scoring much after that. And then he was he lost his place to Emil Empenza, which if that doesn't say you're not a great player, I don't know what it does. <laughs> well, you can cast your vote now at the Sports Social for the player you think should go through to the next round. And Tuesday's group looks like this. I'll give you a little bit of a preview. You've got Ali Dyer on there. You've got Titus Bramble, Milan Jovanovic and Joe, another Manchester City striker as well. And I think Joe's a bit harsh on this group as well. I'm also going to throw in another curveball because I don't think Ali Dyer counts because he played under a half of football in the Premier League before Southampton realised he was a complete fraud. So I don't think he should be in the mix here, but he's in the group, so you can vote for him if you like. Uh, who are you picking from those for Ant to go through? Uh, I'm going to go for Joe, just because he didn't live up to his impact. And uh, until Aguero came, uh, uh, apart from Sean Gota and, and Dickov, we never, we really struggled for, we always had these strikers that would come in that were praised as being the next big thing. And yeah, Hughes brought him in, I think it was from um, Moscow. And yeah, all that anybody really remembers about him is his hair. Uh, I'll go with Ali Dia, Jim. I, I, I don't, I don't see how he can't be the worst player ever. Firstly, Graham Souness sits on Sky Sports every week and then goes, you know, these players need to be doing better. Let's not forget Graham Souness was the manager that gave Ali Dia an opportunity after he blagged his way into a Premier League football club by claiming he was George Weir's cousin. It's like a modern day version of uh, Kaiser, isn't it? The Brazilian player who went through his entire career signing massive contracts and never actually playing a single minute of football. You need to check that story out. Go and find it online if you've never heard it before. So there are two groups anyway. You're free to cast your vote for whoever you like at the Sports Social. We'll discuss the players that make it through to the next round on Friday's podcast where we pick an overall winner of the worst Premier League ever in the Premier League world crap. That is it for today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. and thank you very much for coming on. Niall, thank you very much for coming on. You're welcome. Cheers. You can get the next podcast if you hit subscribe now. We shall have one out on Wednesday. So you click subscribe and we'll deliver that to you as soon as it's ready. Thank you very much for your time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Slow cooked, succulent meats delivered fast to your door. Search for us via Uber Eats and Deliveroo.